This is What It Takes to Make. I'm Josh Munkin. My guest today is Kelly Light, children's book author, illustrator, and weeble. Kelly is my second light, and very coincidentally, my second conversation with a children's book author and illustrator after my conversation with Steve Light a few weeks ago. Kelly's primary works, the ones for which she's known the best, are two picture books for young kids called Louise Loves Art and Louise and Andy and the Art of Friendship, about an earnest girl named Louise who can't put her pencil down for love of drawing. The art in these two books is expressive, animated, and dynamic. Like Kelly, Louise is at her best and happiest when she's making art. Kelly has a very interesting story and is very transparent, honest, and humble about her origins, her uncommon and very immediate success, and the story that needs to be told about what comes next. I mentioned that Kelly self-identifies as a weeble. She gave me permission to use that term, and it comes up several times in our chat. Weebles are toys from the 70s that weeble and wobble but don't fall down. If you're in a safe place, do me a favor and Google weeble toy right now so you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to do something I've never done before on this show, and that's to queue up my conversation with Kelly with something that happened on the back end after the formal interview conversation was over. Here's her anecdote, which you'll see perfectly embodies some of what we get into with adversity and always making sure you pop back up. I had one that didn't pop up once, and I thought it was like a sign from the universe that I was doomed. So, um, yeah, Steve gave me a little weeble at one point when I was going through all of this. Um, and then when I was, I had to clean out my house and I found one of my weebles from when I was a kid. So I was in this messy room with boxes everywhere and I was packing up my life and donating it to whoever would come and take it. And this little weeble was on the, um, it was like on a window ledge and I just happened to look and it was on its side. And I was like, oh, (laughs) It's a sign. I'm doomed. (laughs) The story we tell through our conversation touches on Kelly's quick ascent to something some might call fame and glory, but also what's more important about that mountain peak, the work it took to get to the top, and also a realistic look at what it takes to stay there, as well as what happens when you stumble from your peak. One of the things I appreciate about Kelly's style and how she approaches making the Louise books is that they're very small moments and very limited in the detail they offer, but they're full of movement and hint at bigger things around the periphery. Kelly and I hit lots of small moments in her career thus far, and these are small moments that have made a huge difference both to her and to those whose lives she's touched. From the day in 2012 that she sent the postcard that changed her life, to the letters she received from parents whose kids made a best friend of Louise, to the day in 2015 that changed her life for the worse, to the continuing moments she has to educate upcoming children's book authors at conferences. All those moments aren't perfect or pretty, but they do add up to a big impact. There are so many more moments we could have explored more deeply, but will for now remain blank spaces to fill in later. I am, though, very excited to be able to share my conversation with children's book author, illustrator, and weevil Kelly Light. Let's get with them. That's what I wish I had heard. Um, I, w- I will tell people how much I make on books. I will tell people um, how that money gets paid, how you can possibly live or not live off of that amount of money. I tell people what it feels like to to lose book deals, to get a book deal, and then to be removed from a book deal um, because the author doesn't like what you're doing. Like, like it's you know, there's a lot of 
flip side of it, I think people see getting published in children's books as literally, you know, like you've you've got the golden ticket kind of thing. And um, I, I like to remember, I like to make people remember you only do it because you love it. If you don't love it, don't do it. It's not about the money. You're not going to get rich. And it's not that people don't get rich. It's it's that very few people get wealthy. Very few people make books that become, you know, um, perennials or classics or never go out of print or are on the top of the New York Times, you know, bestselling list for three years in a row. Or, you know, it's 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 a job that has to be a calling and you have to love it, and you have to love the nitty-gritty of it, and you have to love the bad with the good, and or at least n- learn how to weather the bad with the good. Um, and accept that that sort of if you don't hit goodnight moon status, then that's okay to reconcile that sort of like expectation yeah. of what you can get out of the work. Yeah, and yeah, exactly, and 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 you know, who knows if there'll ever be another goodnight moon or where the wild things are, but um, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, there's there's lots of layers to it. So I think that's that's how I that's a context to how I don't mind talking about how I get published if there's a little bit of a flip side because I don't want to hang I don't want to hang a carrot dangling a carrot in front of anybody's face without them knowing you know what what else is entailed in the, in the situation. So um because I got uh published and um was published in a big way is great and i am very grateful for it and i'm hoping going forward that that experience has given me a foundation to continue to get published um but i will say here i am i got published in 2012 or i got my you know my book deal 2012 um the first book deal in 2012 and now we're in 2019 so here, seven years later, I find myself like, all right, I kind of have to, I don't have to start back at square one, but maybe I have to start back at like square four and a half, you know? So <laughs> I think it's a journey, and I think that uh, the journey needs to be talked about more than the, you know, Yahoo success stories. And. Uh, you know, uh, celebrate the success as you will, I guess. But the value to me is talking about where the struggles are. Like like mm-hmm. we said in our, our email exchanges, that you can have that initial book deal, but that doesn't mean that your life is ultimately, you know, uh, made because of that. So to to level set, the book deal that you got that was the, the published in a big way, that was for Louise, right? Yes. Um, yeah. It, but it was a perfect storm of many things. So in the month of April of 2012, um, I, within a week, got two deals to illustrate two middle grade book series. So that's what kicked it off. So it was April 2012. I get the first call um, to illustrate a chapter book series from Bloomsbury. And then within the week, I got a second call to illustrate another chapter book series for HarperCollins. So uh, I went from zero to 40, you know, just in the in this one week in the month of April. And because I thought, wow, people have finally noticed my work, I'm going to send a postcard out, postcard out with this character that I love, that I've been doodling and drawing and stuff. 
And so in the month of April, I mailed out this postcard with Louise on it. And 24 hours later, because I lived in Long Island, so 24 hours later, my postcard hit Manhattan. And 24 hours later, my phone rang all day. My email box filled up. And I had offers from, like, every single publishing house, I think except Disney and Candlewick. Everybody wanted the character. Everybody wanted to do a book with me. Um, So in one month, the course of one month of 2012, I got... um, five yeah it was like a like six books six book deals in, in one month wow that's what i'm saying it was a big month it was a big it was it was a perfect storm and so then the louise book deal the original louise book deal was a one book deal but when i turned in the final art a year later uh, harper collins turned the one book deal into a seven book deal so that means that in the course of one year I got like 12 book deals. Wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a lot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's a lot. It's a lot. And uh, what is it was the... like winning the picture book yeah. lottery. It was like, you know, the children's book lottery. It was. Yeah, but but like when you win the lottery, all of a sudden there are infinite expectations on you as a creator yes. to deliver. Yes. And that's a struggle. <laughs> Just like the lottery, you see the people who go out and they buy, you know, every kind of car and they buy mansions and they're flying on private jets. And before you know it, they don't have any money left. You know, it's it's a be careful what you wish for situation. And I will say there were aspects to it that were glorious and there were aspects to it that I loved. There were things that I learned. I learned so much so quickly. You know, I was really, it was, I was thrown into the, you know, the pit and I had to just mosh my way through it. Like I had to come out, you know, and I had to get through it. And I, I loved a lot of it, but there were times where I wish I had a rule book, a guidebook, a, you know, a something. And, um, yeah, and it was definitely a be careful what you wish for situation when it came to things like uh, I felt a lot of expectation um, from the publishers. I tried to rise to their expectations, but I couldn't because I really didn't know. I didn't have enough information always to to kind of um, do everything you know that they that they would have liked. Um, or some of it was just beyond my control, but yet I felt it was on my shoulders, like winning awards or, you know, getting on lists or getting mentions or or getting on a New York Times bestseller list or um, and my books sold well. I mean, when I say my the first Louise book, the first Louise book sold, um, it had a print run of 50,000 copies, the initial print run, which is a huge print print run for a picture book, especially for a debut picture book. Um, and it sold through in its first month. So uh, many picture books uh, that are printed never sell through their run and um, may m- will go out of print, you know, eventually or not, not long after they're printed. So I sold through in my first month. I started getting royalties, which I didn't even know that would ever even happen. Um, so it sold well, but it didn't get on the New York Times bestseller list. So that was the first indication that I had somehow not met a bar that was set. So, um, so there are there are 
you know, it's a roller coaster ride. There are highs and lows and twists and turns, and you feel like you're gonna puke, and that's that's what that's what that was. Um, what 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 is the significance of not being on the New York Times bestsellers list? Uh, the New York Times bestseller list is it's. Um, I think it's something that uh, every every publisher, you know, shoots for and hopes for when they feel they have a they have like the right book, and um, they don't even call it the New York Times bestseller list in publishing. They call it the list, and like everybody kept saying, "Oh, what about the list? Do you think it's going to make the list?" And I was like, uh, "What's <laughs> the list?" You know, I didn't even know what the list was. So um, yeah. It's it's a way if your book gets on the New York Times bestseller list, it's getting this blast of advertising. It's getting vetted by the New York Times. So it's going on this infamous, widely famous list of the best children's books you could possibly buy. It's the best advertising your book can get. So um, and then once you get on it, you become, well, I'm Joe Schmo, New York Times bestselling author you know so then you get put that gets put on you you get stamped with that same thing as you get stamped as like an oscar nominee or an oscar winner. you know it's like and this is oscar you know oscar winning after william neeson or you know it's the same it's the same thing you get this little um badge on your sash like a like a you know like a girl scout you get a badge on your sash and that becomes your your medal and you wear it for the rest of your career and the, and the way that you talk about it, I think, is interesting that it's put on you uh, like a like a bit of a burden. Oh, I don't think it's a burden. I don't think it's a burden. I think it's good. <laughs> I think if you get that, you're good. You're golden. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I think it's something I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of um, I think it's a lot about children's books that that it's very similar to the entertainment field where there's a lot of, um, for advertising purposes, there's a lot of, um, you know, um, words and labels that are used to get books out there. I mean, they're selling a product. So the more they can slap on the cover of a book or on an author, um, the better for the product to be sold. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it is. It's not a negative thing at all. It's just it's a thing that I think a lot of people don't realize uh, before they're published that um, there are all these um, external pressures, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to talk more about Louise because I'm, I'm interested in the run up to the like this April 2012, like postcard card blast, you said you had been working on Louise and doodling on her for a long time. What, where did Louise come from as a character? Um, in 2010, I had already been trying to get published for, I think, um, maybe about like four or five years. So I, um, I was tired. I was cranky. I didn't really want to try anymore. I wanted to stop banging my head against all these closed doors. Um, so I was like, ah, screw it all. I'm just going to draw whatever I want to draw instead of like trying to draw to get published, which I, it was something that I was doing, which I trying to figure out in my portfolio, what were the things that were going to get me published? And I just started to draw whatever the hell I wanted to draw. And, um, 
put that in my portfolio. And out of those drawings of, you know, drawing whatever I wanted to draw, I drew this little girl who loved to draw. And uh, I was just watching my own 10-year-old kid who had suddenly become an art kid. And I could tell that um, they had caught the bug. You know, there's definitely, you can see it, you know, in certain kids that are like, oh, I was both amazingly proud and also worried like oh great you love art too and then, oh I'm so sorry kid. <laughs> like this is because it you love it you're stuck with this for the rest of your life like there's no avoiding it you love art so I started to doodle this little girl who just couldn't think about anything else except for drawing and put in my portfolio and boom instantly the thing that got the most feedback in my portfolio was Louise now I didn't get a deal I was showing her in my portfolio I didn't get a, a deal out of putting her out at like an SCBWI or showing her. But what I got was a lot of like attention or, oh, you should do more of this or who is this? And um, my answer was, I don't really know yet. So I wasn't, I wasn't pushing her. She was in my portfolio, but I wasn't really pushing her as anything. Um, and I would put her up on my blog and I would, you know, I would, uh, back when everybody had blogs, I would do things like, you know, oh, you know, um, well, before I even named her, I put her up on my blog and I wanted to come up with a name and I had all these lists of famous female artists. So I was like, oh, should her name, you know, be, now I'm blanking, should her name be, I don't know, I can't even think right Who, now. Whoever it was, you've landed on Louise yeah. and <laughs> that's who she yeah. is. Now. Like Mary, like, should her name be Marie, like Marie Cassatt, should her name be, you know, not that I wanted to name her Frida, but, you know, like, you know, I, I just listed a whole bunch of, I wanted to name her after a famous female artist. And I wound up with Louise because Louise was, um, Louise Nevelson is the first female artist that I learned about when I was a kid. My art teacher took us to some museum and we went and we saw this big, huge, crazy installation. And I remembered going, wait, oh, wait, a girl did this? So I remembered Louise Nelson was the first female artist I ever learned about. So I named her Louise. So that was from 2010 to 2012. I was just kind of, you know, doodling and, and, and figuring out who this character was. I didn't write a manuscript. I had a bunch of ideas written about her. I would write who she was. I would write what she does. I would write how she acts. I would, but I really didn't have a manuscript, a story. Um, the book was certainly not made until after the book deal. So um, that's but, kind of how she developed. Yeah, yeah. You were in essence doing sort of character research without anything to research, just figuring out who she was for that period of time before you could we make just, a story yeah. about her, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of how I work. Um, you know, every author has their own their own you know way of doing things, their own formula. For me, I tend to think of a character. I don't tend. I tend to think of things that are character driven. And for me to be able to write something, I need to be able to understand the character. Even when I'm given other people's manuscripts to illustrate, I really need to like the characters and understand the characters and design the characters before I can do anything else. So, um, yeah. Um. Louise and Louise loves art has well the two characters Louise and art have a, a particular style to them art's style is very simplistic with his one bold color and his his yellow hair um 
What's the, what is the sort of like character design, fashion design process for you as you look at these guys? And we can take that into to Louise and Andy as well, because Andy's got a very distinct style and also some very clear sort of um, pulling from um, uh, Andy Warhol <laughs> influences as well. Right. What What's that process like? Um. First of all, it's my favorite thing to do is design the characters. It's the most fun. It's for me, it's the most fun. Part of it is to to figure out who they are and how they look. And um, so, as far as like stylistically, if that's what you're kind of asking about, um, I think that my work screams its influences out at people. Um, I'm huge. A uh, fan of, uh, I mean, I work in animation, but I'm a huge fan of animation. I'm a huge fan of um, comic books that I grew up with. I'm a huge fan of Harvey comics. And um, I see a lot of, of um, influence on my drawing from my love of Harvey comics, which if you know Casper and Wendy and Hot Stuff and Richie Rich, if you know about those comics at all, I know that I'm... I'm starting to be a little bit older, so I don't know how many people out there even know about my some of my um, my influences anymore. But um, and also my favorite cartoon of all time of anything that's ever well, other than the Iron Giant, the Iron Giant is my favorite um, animated movie. But I love Gerald McBoing Boing. It's something that you can Google, you can watch on YouTube. Gerald McBoing Boing is um, the most beautiful, beautiful thing in the whole world. It's just beautiful to watch. So there's lots of influences on my work. And um, particularly like the way that it's done in black line. Um, so I love line. I, 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 it's very spare. It's you now there's not, it's not um, saturated with color. Uh, I think it all kind of harkens back to to those two, you know, childhood, like, you know, loves. So, um, and as far as like influences from other artists, I always, I wanted the Louise books to always have, um, subtle winks and nods to things from the art world. So if we're going to have other characters, and I'm hoping in other Louise books, um, other characters will be, you know, again, based off of other artists. Um, the idea is to uh, weave it in, weave art and art history and the love of art into the books without necessarily whacking a kid over the head with a paintbrush, like just kind of put it in there um, without actually stating, you know, uh, you know, Let's all learn about Andy Warhol. So, you know. And the, the, the effect that that has is that when my kids go and look at Andy Warhol art, they're going to say, oh, that's Louise's <laughs> right. friend. Exactly. Exactly. Or, you know, it, it opens up the possibility for them to ask a question or go and learn about it. Or, again, see it like, you know, you never know. A kid could be. Three years after they read the book, they could be walking around and they'll see a poster for an exhibit of Andy Warhol's art, and then it'll all click or something. You know, it's like planting a seed. You know, you absolutely, because because what you what you get to talk about is stylistic choices um, and, and the difference therein. Uh, I mean, that's that's at the core of both the, of the Big Louise books is um, 
the freedom that art wants to have in uh, in Louise Loves Art to you know remix and mess with stuff and the the sort of pop art style of of Andy as sort of contrasted with Louise. I think that's it's an interesting thing to reflect on, particularly with siblings like my kids are. But then it just in general um, helps people look at art in a in a different way than you might otherwise. And there was no great plan for any of this. It's very, it has been an organic thing that happened. There was no great plan that the first book was, you know, because I didn't have a manuscript, that the book was going to be about, I wanted it to be about art and passionate, being passionate about art. Um, and it turned out to be a book really about relationships, right? It really kind of, it kind of, it's like, uh, got, it's got two layers to it, mm-hmm. you know, Um and then the second book, you know, the idea that you can be different, you don't have to um, be the same to be friends. So, uh, yeah, it's um, I like I like that. I like discovering um, things while I'm making while I'm making it without um, maybe necessarily having the idea concrete. Um, I will say that I have many, many friends who are authors who do things differently and I see the way they do things, and I'm a little envious sometimes. They are so clear, and they are so um, strategic, and they have everything mapped out, and then they hand something that's very concrete to their agent, and their agent submits something very concrete, and then they get a very concrete yes or no. Um, My career thus far has been very different. I have a very old-fashioned relationship with my editor where um, we talk and things don't have to be concrete. And it's very, um, it's a gift, I think, um, and a curse at times because if you don't have that concrete idea, um, it's a little bit of a, like a meandering um, journey to the end of the written you know, book. Um, I also don't write, I storyboard. Um, so I don't ever have a typed manuscript. I have a storyboard. And again, my, my editor, Alessandra Balzer at Balzer and Bray, um, it's a gift <laughs> that she um, reads my storyboards, you know, and that she doesn't tell me I have to do it any particular one way. So, um, yeah, I, I have so many friends who, uh, who have these, these typed manuscripts that I'm like, what is this thing? <laughs> what is this thing with, you know, straight, straight lines of text and it's all orderly. And, and, you know, I have these giant scribbly storyboards. Yeah. But that, that seems very on brand for you and letting the art speak for itself. Not only that, but also the, your influences with comic strips, you're kind of going back to that as you conceptualize your stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I gave a workshop at, um, and SCBWI on, on, on storyboarding and the um, exciting process of storyboarding a la um, the way they used to make animated movies um, back in the day. We have a group of people and you're all in a room and you're all drawing on these large white cards and you're slapping them up on the wall and you're pulling them down and you're slapping up and you're working together to make like this, this story. And um, that's how I work, but I do it all by myself. I just, um, I slap things up on the wall, I act them out, I talk them out, I do the dialogue. Because every book to me is like an animated short in my brain. So to get the single images, I kind of have to 
push pause and go, okay, what is what is the image at this second where where this is happening um, that that reads, you know, to tell what the what the dialogue or the text is is yeah. um, saying. So um, yeah, it's a very different process than I think um, many people do. You've made it work though so far. So <laughs> you yeah. So you you even as um, as long as I understand these things to take um, from now what I know to be the initial book deal, you turned around the book pretty, I mean, pretty quickly because it was published in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those things, t- those things take a, a big chunk of time to get through. It's, yeah, it took a year to make it. It took a year to write, you know, storyboard it and get it right and do many revisions and get the book done. And so in 2013, I turned in all the final art and then in 2014 it came out. So yeah, it's usually about a two year process to make a book. Um, that's, you know, um, if there's not a great push for it, push, uh, books can be books can be rushed um, if there's a great need and a great demand, if it's very timely. Um, and then other books take longer to make. Um, but I think publishing would really love it if they had this boom, two year, you know, yeah, one year to make it. And then we're going to, we're going to put it out to next yeah. year. Did you have from the outset, this, this sort of, um, collaborative and understanding relationship with your editor? Um, I think I, again, I think that I really, I stumbled into a career, um, and it went from, you know, zero to 60, uh, really quickly. So I think that, I think that working with Balls and Bray, because it is an imprint, um, within HarperCollins. So the good thing about that is um, HarperCollins is a giant company with lots of books being, you know, being made. Um, but mm-hmm. being in an imprint, it's like being in a tiny publisher within a giant entity. So um, because uh, they make fewer books, you know, they are very choosy. They, they're very particular about the books that they make. And the books that they make each season, they pay a lot of attention to because they're not making that many. So there's um, Donna Bray and Alessandra Balzer, um, and they have um, they have a little corner of a floor inside, you know, inside Harper Collins, and um, and they're they I do I mean I, I really do I do love I usually it's funny even today like when I when the new um, crop of books come out say the September right so September is the biggest publishing month of the year so the new crop of books will come out and I will go to the bookstore and I'm like oh what's new mm-hmm, let me see what I like I will pick books up and I will go this one looks good and I like it and then I always go right to the spine to see like who made this book and I'll go oh look it's balls and Bray. oh you know because I tend to 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 get their taste and um and know that you know what 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 the kind of things that they that they make and um and they 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 I think that they have a collaborative spirit. One of the first things that Alessandra said to me on the phone um, when they had gotten the postcard, the Louise postcard, uh, they had an acquisitions meeting and two art directors slapped the postcard down on the desk and said, we want this. And um, Alessandra said, hey, we're already working with her because she's illustrating a chapter book. So let's get her on the phone. 
so um, I spoke to Alessandra on the phone. And up until that moment, I had only been working with the art director. So Alessandra, one of the first things she said to me was like, can you collaborate? Are you willing to work together? And I was like, absolutely. You know, um, so I think that that was just from the get go. She set the tone for it. Um, I think that she's an excellent guide for um, taking something to the next level um, and being able to see the potential in something. And I think that that's, that is a huge, that's a huge um, talent that I, that I, I wish more people had, you know, <laughs> like to be able to look at something and see the potential in it because it's not fully formed is, is, is really great. That's great. It's a gift to artists, you know. It's a very valuable skill as an editor to be able to see that and, and mold that as well, mm -hmm. I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. How did the the second book come to be? I mean, I know you had a you had a, another deal for more books pretty quickly. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Was that another self driven um, concept? I suppose. What What was the thought process for you like in generating the the Andy book? Um, I had well in my process of doodling Louise, I had drawn a lot of other girl artists and I had already some character designs and Andy was one of them and I was trying I also oh I also had written down like as I was working on the first book I had written down um ideas about what are artistic struggles because I I I know that you don't have to be an artist to have self-doubt Right? That's a universal feeling. But boy, is that a huge thing we, we artists deal with. We deal with self-doubt. We deal with comparing ourselves to other others. Um, we, uh, you know, there's all of these like things that 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 are specific to being an artist and the artist artistic experience. But then they can be turned into universal, you know, concepts. So I, um, I had this drawing of this. Um, this character um, who had kind of a mod 60s thing and all I had to do was um, kind of make her hair white and boom, you know, <laughs> like, ah, okay, you know, I was trying to think of who could be the artistic opposite of um, somebody who loved to doodle because that's what Louise is. Louise isn't specific to a kind of genre of art. She's a she's an artist who loves to doodle. She just loves to draw, and she's not really care. She doesn't really care so much about the end result. Result. She just is like she just loves the act of drawing. So um, I went to you know the the art history book in my head, and I was like, well, not that Andy Warhol didn't love to draw. He actually started his career as a as an illustrator for shoes, and his drawings are absolutely gorgeous. Um, but in the end, the the what he did in his 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 career took a turn where actually he was the work of art, you know, more so than the thing that he was screen printing and putting on the wall. And it was kind of um, saying, you know, his whole his whole thing was like iconography and making things into icons. And he was an icon. And I just thought, like, well, that's my my impression of Andy Warhol was always very cold. Um, 
I think he's fascinating as a person, but his art never really, um, I never warmed to his art. So I kind of thought he was a good uh, person to kind of borrow from to create a character in the world of art. He's, he's so cool. He's untouchable. And I wanted the person that Louise met, who she wanted to be friends with, to feel that way. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's an effective contrast, that contrast between um, Louise being passionate about the art and, and Andy just living living as art, essentially. I mean, the house that, that she moves into is the same style that she is, is and her art is the same style that that she lives as well and so it's a it's a perfect thing to sort of balance the two the two characters um yeah and it that's you know again i i was making books for the first time so everything that i'm doing is new to me too if i'm if i you know i'm trying to put i'm trying to put you know lessons i've learned from my past working as a commercial you know artist because i worked in licensing and before that i worked in animation but there's all lessons that i've you know picked up along the way but in my mind i'm like well you you give visual clues to characters by by their environment that you create you create around them and if louise is all about drawing and that means she's all about the act and she's all about the craft and she just loves everything and she's She's literally somebody who puts her hand to paper constantly. Well, her house is, um, it's a, it's, it's not necessarily heavy craftsman, but it's like a Tudor, which is what I used to live in. And my Tudor house, I loved because it was built in 1929 and everything was made by hand. Like there were these hand hewn beams and hand stuckled walls. And, um, so I liked the idea that Louise, of course, would live in a house that was very warm and very, um, you know, classic, you know, like very, very, um, that would feel very much like her. And then boom, you know, do the same thing with, with the other character. Cause it just kind of helps support, um, support like, you know, the character's personality. In terms of, letting the characters live their personality and, and be who they are. Was it intentional to disinclude grownups from your books? Um, the first book, I didn't think about it intentionally. The first book, I mean, I think it, you know, I think it goes back to the peanuts womp, womp, womp kind of thing. You know, <laughs> I think it's uh, I think that's part of it, but I, I also think about, you know, well, why did they do that in Peanuts? You know, it lets you zero in on the kids. You're not distracted by, you know, the parents and the interaction. Um, I I wanted that first book to feel very much like it's a Saturday morning and the parents are still in bed. And this is the life between the, the brother and the sister and a quiet moment. I mean, it really is. All it is is a walk down the stairs to the kitchen that book is a very short amount of time in in 40 pages starts in the bedroom they walk down the stairs and they go to the kitchen and boom it's over it's just a moment in these kids lives and um you know i i i thought that it all could have very realistically happened and then you know you could see your know, mom and dad walking in going like all right we're gonna make pancakes like right after it's over <laughs> We don't need to see mom and dad walking in to say, oh, we're going to make pancakes. So, um, yeah, so that's that's the way I thought about the first one. And then with the second one, <clears throat> I thought it worked well 
So here I am, they're moving, you know, they're moving in next door and the house is all filled with boxes. The parents are probably around somewhere. They're just, you know, they're just busy. Um, yeah, I just, I think it is. I think it's, I think it's, um, it's kind of one of those cartoon uh, tropes, you know. The parents are there. It's not like, you know, it's not like Bambi. The mom's, mom's still there. You know, like it's, it's there. <laughs> the parents are there somewhere, but we don't, we don't see them. And I, I, you know, again, in my head, and I think that most people who have series, right? So, um, who, whoever, you know, some of the other big picture book series, like in my head, there's so much more of Louise's life, you know, but I can, I can never squeeze that into, um, a picture book. So, but, but certainly, um, there are lots of artists, authors, authors that try and force more life into the pages. And I, it's, it's a very clear stylistic choice for you. It seems like to let there be so much space on the page, or I'm thinking about all the gestures on the page with the, with the cat, um, from Louise loves art where, you know, it's just them in different poses and it could be the span of 10 seconds, but, um, but you can understand through that you're you're focusing on the character and the movement of the character and there's nothing else on the page um you you have to infer whatever else is going on and um i think that's really um helpful for young minds as i think about my kids and the way that they learn to imagine what happens that's not pictured right yeah, I mean, I think that it's it is definitely the, the books are definitely spare, and I think that um, yeah, you have a wide age range for picture books, so you can have somebody, you know, you could have a baby, I mean, you could have a baby on somebody's lap, but say you're having, you know, you have, um, you know, you know from your own kids, what's the difference between a two year old and a five year old? It's tremendous, you know. Yep. So, so, but there, though, your two children might look at the same book completely differently, you know? So, um, and, and as a kid grows, they, they, you know, they're, they're changing and develop, they're looking at the same book, you know, they pick it up off their shelf if they own it every couple months and they're seeing it differently every time that they see it and they're noticing new things. And, um, so, you know, I, I I'm thrilled. I'm so thrilled when I get um, some kind of, you know, fan letter or fan email from an older child who still thinks Louise is like the greatest. Cause I'm like, wow, you know, cause that means that they've taken the book and expanded upon it so much and um, maybe internalized. Cause I always get sent art, you know, with, with, with my fan emails and fan letters. So um I feel like maybe they've internalized her a little bit, you know, if they've, if, mm-hmm. if they're older and they're, um, they're still digging it. So, um, yeah. So I, you know, I, 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 and I added the cat, the cat was not like the cat was a last minute addition to the first book because the cat is a little bit of comedy. Um, we all need, we all need, I love, you know, Comic relief is always the best role to play. Um, the cat is like the Greek chorus. So the the idea that Louise doesn't notice a lot of what art is doing. Well, but somebody does notice. The cat notices. And that gives the reader, the kid, someone to interact with directly. 
you know, because the cat's basically pointing to Louise, like, well, you look over there, you know, <laughs> like, take a look, you know, mm-hmm. see what's going on. It's interesting that the animal is the sort of cipher conduit for the for the reader. Do you imagine, as you're writing these, that how, you know, like, people like me might be reading the books to their kids? Like, you know, as they get ready for bed or first thing in the morning, how it's going to sound as they read it out loud and point to the pictures and interact with the kids. Um, the few times I've heard somebody else read the book, it's very odd. Yeah, because I have uh, a way that I acted it out when I wrote it. And I have a way that I read it when I read it to um, kids doing, you know, uh, the actions and the voices and stuff. And um yeah, and there's uh, there's an audio book which they used a young uh, a young girl actress to read the audio book, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting to hear uh, the way other people read it. Um, the idea of when and how it's being used is so wonderful and rewarding. Um, to again like I you know I've, I've gotten a lot of I've gotten a lot of feedback from teachers and librarians and you know packages of art and cards and cut out red glasses with all the kids wearing them so like they I've gotten a lot of really positive wonderful um examples of how the book is used uh, some of the things that tickle me the most are art teachers, you know, art teachers where you don't necessarily think about picture books being used in art class, but they're using Louise in art class. And uh, whew, that is great. And um, but the um, the bedtime thing, of course, is uh, the it's like the um, sacred place is if you know that your book is a bedtime book and that there's um this in particular this one dad wrote me an email um that he was every night reading louise to his daughter ella and um he wrote me this email and he was like hi it's you know it's eight o'clock and I've just read the book to Ella and Ella won't go to sleep unless she knows a, a couple of things. She wants to know what kind of pajamas Louise wears. She wants to know what kind of cereal she eats. She wants that, and I was like blown away by that because that means that Louise is real. Like this is this has gotten to the point where this this young reader Ella is. Yeah, Louise is like her pal, you know, and she needs to know more about her. And um, so, yeah, those those are the those are that's the best pay you can get as much as we all need money to live off of. Nothing pays as well as that of knowing that like a kid is, you know, is so fascinated by this character that you created that they need to know what kind of cereal they eat in the morning. Like then you're character has jumped off the page and exists in a world that you haven't created but that is very valuable to that kid yeah yes and 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 i did that myself and to to have that thread in your life of who you were when you were a kid and then you've created something and now you see other kids experiencing things the way that you did but you made that thing that they're experiencing that is good stuff that's yeah. the rewarding stuff in life, so it's good. 
So, um, I mean, there's there's a lot more Louise. It sounds like to explore. What what do you struggle ah. with most as you think about what comes next for Louise? Well, first, I hope I can. I hope first, I hope I get to make Louise books. So this is where we're getting real um, when we talk a little bit. So, um, so uh, because you said I am, you know, I am. I'm, I'm transparent on social media because I feel like. Um, I feel, and I'd like to be even more transparent on social media, but I, I feel like we have become a society if we put up a storefront online and we only put this bright, shiny product in the storefront and we don't, you know, share real life. We, we create this surface situation. Um, and I think that people go through a lot of hard things in life and if we don't talk about them, that only, like, begets, like, like this feeling of shame and um because I've struggled for the last uh three and a half years um through a very very uh horrible divorce and and financial situation my books have slowed I just had too much I had too many personal fires to put out to focus on making books so after the first two Louise books came out there was a delay um, the readers were supposed to follow directly after it was supposed to go picture book reader, picture book reader. So it was supposed to be an on and off situation. Oh. And I could not fulfill the schedule because of what had happened in my life, what had happened to my, um, to my kid, because, uh, you know, if, if, um, a member of a household walks away, um, it has a horrible devastating effect on the children. So um, my kid was 15, and that was a horrible age. So we had to, uh, not a horrible age, but it was a horrible time for, for a devastating thing to happen to a child. So, um, so I put my kid first, and I tried to uh, rebuild what I could. And in doing that, the work suffered. So um, the readers came out. Um, one one year and then a year later the other one because it was very hard to focus on work um so as of now there's another picture book and two more readers that um hopefully will be made soon um i would like to give i would love to be able to give louise a nice um rounded little world and then after that who knows you never know what publishing whether you continue to make books or not um with a series you know series are different a series is uh, it's a real big gamble for a publisher and and with all things like if the gamble doesn't pay off then you're not going to get to make more um, books so uh, but you know in my head and in my heart Louise has so much more uh, to do um, and so much more I, I had um, so many ideas uh, for her whether I the next book I really wanted to make was Louise at school and Louise in art class and taking Louise out of her little world of her home and her bedroom and putting her in the mix of a lot of other kids and interacting with um, that environment. That was the next thing that, that, that the next idea that I had was I wanted to have her at, um, at school for a day. Which is number one, a more um, rich character environment, but also a, a much 
potentially like a bigger span of time. It sounds like a much more complicated sort of story to tell rather than this little slice of time, slice of life that the first book was. So her world right. was getting getting bigger potentially. Right, right. But you still boil it down to like you have to you have to boil it down to something very simple and and the idea you know the idea of um and, and Louise keeps a pencil behind her ear. It's one of the little weird little visual quirks that I've given Louise. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea is that she has a lucky pencil and that she loans it to somebody. So and then it's the mat. It's, a, it's the idea of like what happens over the course of the day with the pencil. So you still have to find this tiny little thing. So you have to boil it down to something. It can't just be her walking through the halls and going to class and saying hi to Sue and saying hi to Bob. And, you know, like it's it's got to you have to find this <laughs> very simple thread to take you through through a very simple you know 40 page picture book so yeah. so that would be really fun to see and i hope we get to see it someday but uh but but in in the last three years of struggle how hard on yourself have you been has it been a struggle for you to sort of accept and forgive yourself to for the the situation that it that you found yourself in, or or was it more like a all right, well, let's knuckle down and deal with the family, and we'll get back to this at some point. Um, in the beginning, it was definitely a knuckle down, deal with you know you can't you can't be in the middle of a burning fire in a burning inferno, and and you know worry about anything else. You have to put the fire out. So. Um, in the beginning, it was very much just take care of what's at hand and, um, and you'll get to that, you know, you'll get to that. It'll be okay. But, um, what my life turned into was a series of explosions, not just the one explosion that happened. Um, so what happened was, um, I, I had this, I've had this running, um, metaphor of being a weeble. Um, you know, weebles were these little egg shaped things when I was a kid in the seventies, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down is the tagline. <laughs> I had some. And, yep. Um, you did have some. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh good. So good. So I'm not that old. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, for a long time, like that was, that was like, I would give myself these funny little things to like, hang on with and hang on by and like. But but there's only so much a human being can take if, like, you get knocked down and you pull yourself back up. That's awesome. You get knocked down again and you pull yourself back up. Wow. You get knocked down again, you pull yourself back up. You do get a little slap happy. You get a little tired. It gets harder. You know, there are, there, you know, there are reasons why you can't pull yourself back up. And um, I got through a lot um but the work would hang there the work and the deadlines would hang there um not only as something that had to get done and like a responsibility i owe this to harper collins and i um you know i owe this to my editor who's been so generous and um they've they've done so much for me so not only did it hang there as a responsibility that i wasn't taking care of it hung as a thing I wanted to do, but I so much would rather be drawing. I so much would rather be creating. I so much would rather be back in that world where 
I'm talking to other authors and I'm talking to children and I'm doing school visits and I, I get to be um, the best version of me, which is what, what came out of getting the Louise book deals, um, honestly, was a fulfillment of who um, I always wanted to be as um, an artist and as a person. Um, it's not just like about making the books, but it's this interaction that you get with the kids and it's, um, the ability to maybe inspire kids, you know, to, to, cause my whole thing was about, okay, like pick up the pencil and never put the pencil down. Do you love to, when you go to a, a school and you're talking to 500 kids in an auditorium and you ask who loves to draw, every hand goes up, you know, and you don't want, like, you know, that by the time they're going to be you know, 13, half those hands are, aren't going to go up anymore. And you're like, don't put, don't, don't stop, don't stop. And if any, you know, kid just holds on to the kernel of some wacky artist coming to their school saying, like, never stop drawing, the world would be a much better place. So mm -hmm. that's like, like that. So to me, by the, um, by the summer of 2015, I had felt like I had, stepped into myself and become the best version of who, who I, who I always wanted to be. Um, so when I lost that in the fall, well, I didn't lose that, but when, when life exploded in the fall of 2015, it then became a thing of like, well, that's, it's like the thing that would dangle above my head that was a carrot would be me you know, rather than something else, rather than, you know, it was like, I just want to get that person back. Like, I just want to be there. So, um, that's, that's, it's, you know, Ooh, it's, it's been a lot. It's a lot of, um, internal, uh, struggle to, to get, I think for me, every artist is different, but for me, uh, I create out of a place of such zen-like peace. Um, when I was, I don't know, I don't know how old I was, but I learned at one point, somebody gave me a gift of learning how to do transcendental meditation. And I was like, oh, here, you know, I'm going to give this to you. Go to the center and learn how to meditate. And I'm sitting there with this person who's supposed to be teaching me how to meditate and they're describing what it's supposed to feel like and that oh you know you have this calm and um your brain is very quiet and um you kind of lose your surroundings and I said oh I get that that's how I feel when I draw like I don't need to learn how to meditate because my whole life I've had this beautiful experience of when I create it's very meditative I just always called it, oh, I'm in the zone. Like, I was just like, oh, I'm in the zone when I'm creating and um, everything is flowing and, um, you know, it is the most peaceful feeling for me, a zen-like feeling for me to sit and draw. So, um, so for the last three years and eight months, I could count on my ten fingers the opportunities I've had to sit and draw. Um, and that is painful. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you, do you see the, the ideal Kelly light on the horizon? I do. I do. I do. I mean, that's a, here's the thing again, like if you want to be like real about this career is that 
the slump hurts the the slump in in work and production and being out there uh another aspect of this career is that you have to constantly promote yourself you have to promote your work you have to keep your name and your um your face in people's minds so that they're anticipating that next book when it comes out and um, so the slump hurts. It hurts the career. It, it, it puts a little bit more weight on my shoulders to have to dig myself back up into, uh, you know, people's consciousness. And um, that's why I said, like, I may, not have, I may not have to go back to square one, but maybe like square four and a half where sure. um, yeah, I'm hoping that what, what I have put out into the world gives me a good enough foundation that some people will be anticipating the next book from Kelly Light, you know, when it when it comes out and um, think of me fondly, you know, based <laughs> on what has come before. Um, but uh, the difference is that I'm different now. You don't go through a major life trauma and not come out changed and. The difference is that I am uh, I am a different person who's going to think about things differently, um, and therefore I will create different things than I would have created before. And um, I know because all my new book ideas are either very, very um, emotional or they are super, super silly. So... Um, I'm right now at the point at the point I'm saying, okay, what's the new thing that you want to write and try to submit? Um, and I think uh, I think I might go with silly while I'm crafting the very emotional because uh, yeah, I think I, I I would like to be a little bit goofy for a, a while. So um, I don't, you know, I just want to get published again. <laughs> it's like I just want to make books. That's, that's, I always just say that to Anderson. I just want to make books. I just want to make books. And they don't have to be New York Times bestsellers. Uh, the one good thing that comes out of this huge um, life trauma is perspective. And what is very, what is truly important. I have definitely, um, I've definitely had my, um, my life distilled to what is the most of what are what are the most important things in life and uh yeah and it's not it's not being the most famous children's book person that's certainly not on the list of of being you know what what's the most pro, what's the most important part of making books is is connecting with the kids that's the most important part of making books you know. So you you will be educating, but you'll be educating grown-ups this summer. And I talked to Steve about this in our conversation. Um, how important a part of your work life and publicity and and outreach to potential readers and other other authors is that sort of thing? Well, I think that part is fun. I, you know, I think that when after you're published so after you're published you get these opportunities to speak not just to kids but you get these opportunities to speak to adults who are hoping to get published and you get paid for that and that's part of the great thing about it is like oh 
I have this knowledge now about this industry that you want to get into. Well, now I can, it's part of my job now that I can now teach people um, uh, what I have learned in my journey, you know, in this industry. Um, the fun thing is I love to draw with people. I love to teach people about drawing. Um, I give character design workshops that are for me just as much fun as I think they are for the people who attend. Like I, I really love to get people drawing and get people seeing things um, in a way that kind of gets them unstuck from some of their bad habits. So um, when you create in a, in a bubble, when you're all alone, in your studio, you can get stuck doing things that are, um, your art looks stuck, your art looks rigid, your art looks lifeless. And um, I think it's a skill that I have. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I am certainly not the best artist in the world. I am certainly not the best children's book artist in the world. But the one skill that I do believe that I have is I can bring characters to life. I know how to draw characters that feel alive. And if that's the skill I can share with you, then that's what I will do. I will be very particular in what I teach. And I will teach what, you know, what I, how I think I can help you. When I say, please stop drawing, you know, characters that are standing there with, you know, their arms straight down by their sides and, um, looking like they're just a flat drawing, you know, like start acting, acting with your pencil, start acting with your characters, get up, you know, if you're drawing a kid that's reaching for a cookie in the cookie jar, you better get up out of your chair and reach for a cookie out of the cookie jar and know how that feels so that you know how to draw it so that it feels real. So that is what I get out of teaching is um, I love to talk to people about um drawing and drawing you know lifelike characters and um and I when I get the chance to talk to people about the career of being in children's books I'm talking very much with you the way that I would talk to them is like you you need to know the good and the bad and you need to know what this realistically can be like and um and even if I might sound a little Debbie Downer, I still do it because I love it. And so you need to love this. You need to really want this um, to be able to weather those um, knockdowns and get yourself back up and rejection and um, still feeling like you have something that you, particularly you, what is unique to you that you have to say that you feel the world need, needs to see or hear is important for kids so um yeah so uh but highlights in particular is an extra special place and um i would go there if they wanted me to pull weeds <laughs> i would go there so <laughs> that may uh, not pay as well <laughs> no but um now that i said that watch they'll probably they'll probably say hey we got some weeds for you but the um the highlights family you know, and, and I don't know if you read the magazine when you were a kid, but they were always at my doctor's office. Um, and then eventually I think we did get it at home. But the Highlights family and the Highlights Foundation and that place is is super. It is super extra special. Um, and I've gone there just to work. I've gone there to teach, but I've also gone there and just been able to, like, get away and and write and stuff. So it's it's a it's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful thing. 
Yeah, Highlights is certainly an institution. It was for our family as well. Mm-hmm. I, I could keep you here for another two hours getting a personal sort of character design workshop from you and, oh, right? and learning everything that you 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 teach folks. But I, I think the message that you leave people with is a, a really helpful one. You know, it's it's kind of subversive in a sense that the Highlights Foundation or anyone else could invite you to to talk about illustration and character design and building environments and creating stories, but it's a, it's an opportunity to talk about the craft. And I'm not sure that anyone would necessarily say, can you come talk about the business of making children's books? But any, any time that you can say, look, let me weed you out to, <laughs> to reference pulling right. weeds in, in the highlights foundation, uh, premises or whatever. But, um, you know, going there and saying like, you, you have to really want this to be, to, to pursue it and, and make it your job, I think is really valuable. I hope, I hope so. I hope it's not, I mean, I, no, I hope it is daunting. I was going to say, I hope it's not daunting, but no, I actually hope it is daunting. I think people, people should be a little bit daunted. I think that people should, um, not just look up, you know, people are attending, um, a huge conference like SBWI, huge conference in New York or LA, um, there tends to be this feeling of like the person in the, it's like being at a revival, you know, and the person at the podium, whoever's speaking is like, oh, that's like, I want to be that person. Like, that's the greatest person. And, and, and people rush to get their book signed by that person. And um, it's very, uh, it puts a lot of wind into your sails. But eventually, you got to be back in your room, and you have to be creating, and and um, it 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 kind of creates a a um, an idea of of what this is that isn't particularly. Um, it's very superstar, you know. It's very it's a very like oh superstar. It's very yeah yeah. And mm-hmm. and um and that it's not that there's not an aspect to that, but. I, I don't like, I don't like that. I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy, uh, knowing people who believe their own myths, which that does happen. And, um, people who forget what this really is and what it really is, is work. And whether you have two books under your belt or you have 227 books under your belt, people are still doing the work. And I think that I would really love that to be, to be the focus, not on, on, um, oh, are you going here? Were you there? Were you, you know, were you on the list? Were you, you know, on whatever list? So um, there are people who have had whole careers in children's books that have 67 books published, but they're by smaller publishers, but yet they fed their family by creating art their entire lives. And to me, that's amazing. If you can do what you love, you can make a living at what you love and you can create for children doing what you love and you're giving something of value to kids. That's what I want to talk about. You know, I don't want to talk about the, um, the superstar, you know, kind of, um, in fact, I, I, I think I, I hope I didn't, but I, I, I sometimes will say when someone will say to me like, oh, you're like a rock star, I'll actually correct them and say like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm no different than you are. 
You know, I'm really no different than you are. Just because I'm published doesn't make me, you know, a rock star. It just makes me somebody who worked really hard and had a little bit of luck. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I hope, you know, that's what I hope I can, I can impart. And, and, and I think that, um, the work really hard and have a little bit of luck, um, it seems to me, I'm trying to parse what the thought is here, but it, it's more like understanding who you are as an artist. It's something that you seem to have come to terms with early enough to be able to parlay that into success. Yeah, um, I've always, you know, all I ever wanted to do was be a cartoonist. All I ever wanted to do, and I didn't even... Um, separate that out from like comic books or comic strips or animated or tv shows or movies or i was just like i just want to be a cartoonist i just want to be a cartoonist i want somebody who draws pictures that are somewhat humorous and make people happy um so yeah and i knew i also knew my own skill limitations and i went to art school and i saw all these people painting beautifully and when i tried to paint it turned to mud but boy could i draw give me a pencil and I could draw circles around some people, but I wasn't going to ever be, um, the idea of like when I was a little kid and I thought like one day my art's going to be in a museum, like, yeah, well, it might not be that kind of museum. It might be a different kind of museum, but you know, it's, I, I, I've always known, like you said, I've always known who I was as, a, as an artist and I've always loved every kind of art. I even love art that I hate. Um, I've been, um, there's a museum in Massachusetts called Mass Mocha. It's a contemporary art fabulous space and sometimes I'll go in there and go god I hate this you know and I love it I love that I hate it because I love that it makes me feel something that strongly and um and I feel like uh you know that allows me just within the world of children's books to like look at other people's work and 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 love it and marvel at it and not compare myself like that's a very I think it's very important is if you know who you are as an artist, you aren't going to be trapped You fall into those traps of comparing yourself. And I think a lot of artists fall into that trap. And, and, and then, yeah, you, if you know what you do and you do it to the best of your ability with the hopes of always getting better, then, 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 you know, you stay in your, it's like, it's like a yoga mat. If you ever take yoga, it doesn't matter what's going on on the mat next to you. All that matters is what's going on in your yoga mat. So do your yoga and enjoy it and get everything you can out of it. And don't worry if the other person's got their, you know, heel in their ear and you can't do that. <laughs> so. I didn't I didn't anticipate that we would connect flexibility to uh, illustration. <laughs> Are you a member of SCBWI? I am. I am. I have been since 2006. And it's another great organization that um, I definitely worked hard. I worked very hard at SCBWI. I made SCBWI my job. Um, I joined in 2006. And I lived in Long Island. But I would go to um, the first conference I ever went to was the New York conference, which was a big one, which was not a good one for the first one. But I would go through. I would go to New York Conference, the New England Conference, the Florida Conference, the New Jersey Conference, and the LA Conference, and I would cycle through that 
From 2006 to 2012, I cycled through all those conferences, if not every year, every other year. I showed my portfolio constantly. Um, so I consider SB, SEBWI the one must do. If you want to do children's books, you have to join SEBWI because you will get more knowledge about the industry uh, faster, you know, and you'll learn the, the pathway to publication faster. Having said that, you should never join SEBWI thinking that joining SEBWI is the only thing that you have to do. You have to go to the conference and get home and get to work. You don't go home and then go, okay, I have another conference in three months or in six months or a year, and you don't do anything in between. In between, you should be working, you should be growing, you should be submitting. You know, it's um, it's not summer camp. It's not um, it's not fun. I mean, not that there are aspects of fun. I've met some of my best friends going through SBWI, um, so there is an aspect of fun. But if you do not focus on what the end goal is, then you're literally just in a club. And uh, that was never my take on SBWI. SBWI was a means to an end for me. And um, that is, uh, yeah. I haven't gone, um, as an attendee, I went two years ago. Two years ago, I went to a New York conference because I thought I needed a little inspiration kick in the tush. And, uh, and I went and I did. And I, you know, got to see people and it gave me a little inspirational kick in the tush. Um, but I haven't gone as an attendee. I, now more, more often I get asked to speak at them and that's when I'll go. Like I'm going in November. It, when you first join. So when you first join SCBWI, there's a packet that comes. And in that packet, there's more information you know, in that packet than you, than you could ever have imagined. And you're like, wow, that just answered a lot of questions. Um, so yeah, so SCBWI is definitely a good, uh, a good thing to do. Having said that, you already spoke to Steve. Steve was not a member of SCBWI. Yeah. And he's had this huge long career, this long journey in children's books. So you don't have to be a member. Um, I think it, it will definitely shorten your journey. Um, if you do. Yes, but but to contrast your my my two light experiences that I've had now, yeah. um, the the thing that it seems you got out of or are continuing to get out of your membership to SCBWI, I guess I should say out loud what that stands for, which is the Society for Children's Book uh, Writers and Illustrators, is not so much an easier path to publication because you seem to have done that on your own, but instead used it for illustration, criticism, inspiration, learning your craft. Um, so, so it was a prep tool more than a finishing tool. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, for it, me, for uh, me, it was, yes. Yeah. And, and comparing that to my conversation with Steve a few weeks ago, uh, I'm not sure that he ever necessarily needed that. I mean, he certainly seems to be a, a workhorse and uh, and and seems to be happy to to plug away at his craft and is very good at it. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think I think make, it, yeah. make of it what you need to. Yeah. Well, I think that's. I would hope that's the case for you know you. I mean that's that's been my my 
um, modus operandi for life make of it? You know, what you can't like, like, I have this thing I love to do. Let me figure out a way to make money doing the thing I love to do. Oh, wait. Oh, there are people that, you know, when I left, I lived in Los Angeles when I was, I was trying to, to work in animation. When I left Los Angeles, I moved back to New York. I was working at an independent animators studio and I was making no money and I was going to have to live with my mom and dad. And I was 24 and I didn't want to move back in with my mom and dad. And I was like, well, I have these skills from drawing cartoons, not only in animation, but for my whole life, I've been obsessed with cartoons and there's an opportunity to now figure out there's a world where they take cartoons and they make merchandise. And that's where I worked the longest was working. I mean, well now I guess, no, now it's equal time. Oh, I just had a moment. I was like, oh, I worked, <laughs> in, I worked in children's books for as long as I worked in licensing. So I worked in licensing, you know, where they're making Bugs Bunny mugs and pajamas and pillowcases and, you know, posters and, and everything that you possibly could sell in stores. And I, I actually enjoyed that career for a very long time because I was drawing, doing what I loved, and I was making a lot of money. Like, I did very well in, in licensing and... um. You know, I think, you know, for me, I've always had that attitude. I was I was a high school kid going to stores in my hometown saying, hey, do you need flyers? Do you need your windows painted for hol- holidays? Like, I've always been like, I draw, pay me to do this, you know, and I was never shy about it. I was always like, you know, I'm good at this, so you should really pay me <laughs> to do this. Because this is this is really good for you that you know you could have my art so um, yeah it's uh, I would hope I would hope that 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 that, that you know that, that most people join with that with that idea I have enough spirit I have enough experience in and it's not just SCBWI there's lots of other organizations too I mean there's there's highlights and you can you can take tons of workshops at highlights and you can um, you can go to lots of other, uh, things, you know, there's a lot, it, there's more retreats and classes online and, um, everything is what you make of it. Everything, nothing is going to give you a golden ticket. Every, everything is work. And if you're not doing the work, there's no quickie fix to this. And, um, yeah, you have to put in the time and you have to get the knowledge and you have to, um, figure it out. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I hope, again, I hope, you know, when I'm doing my, my talk of, of daunting people, (laughs) like, I hope that clicks in their head of like, you know, oh yeah, and I know you're having fun and I know this is a good time and you're, you're away from home and you're drawing here, but this is work. This isn't, this isn't just a, you know, a long weekend away to sit and draw at a table. This is there's a reason why you're doing this. So, um, yeah. Is this still going to be fun at three o'clock in the morning when you're on your sixth cup of coffee and you're on deadline and <laughs> don't have a thought in your head? That's you know the kind of an essential question. The good question. Yeah, that's a really great question because um, back back when I was working on on serious deadlines, right, before my life exploded, I might have grumbled and groaned a little bit. But today, I'd give anything. I'd give anything to be in the zone 
and working nonstop. And, and there is a rush. There is a feeling of that. Like I love a deadline. I'm a deadline junkie. Um, there is a rush of adrenaline and creativity and um, this fierceness that comes out of me when I'm on a deadline. It's, it's, it's that, again, it's that, it's that like stepping into yourself. It's like, this is who I am. I am an art factory. Give me a deadline and I love it. Like I love to be in that place where my pencil's moving, you know, a mile a minute. And um, yeah, it's, it's just such a good feeling. So um, yeah, now it's good. I'd like that. We'll get back to that. <laughs> Yeah. I do like to get back to that. And I and I am on deadline. I, I honestly here's an, I'm very honest. I am on a deadline. I'm on de- on a deadline that's been extended for my next picture book. So I uh have a picture book that was supposed to come out this fall and it's not coming out this fall because it's not done yet. So um that's a whole other thing of 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 um you know uh I have never not finished something within the right constraints. And the fact that I have not finished a book within the right constraints is a whole, um, uh, leads to a whole lot of questioning of like, what are you doing? Who are you? Why can't you finish this? What's your problem? Is this what they call artistic block? I've never had this before. You know, <laughs> like it's a, it's a whole nother thing. I've never had artistic block my whole, until my whole life. I'm 48 years old. I've worked most of my life as a commercial artist and I've never had artistic block and, uh, boy, it's not comfortable at all it's like this icky it's like having cooties it's like (laughs) get this off of me it's horrible so i think it's just life getting away i think it was bound to happen sometime yeah and i also think that that i think the cure for it is to to turn and create something else and and um that's what i'm trying to do now is to say like all right Stop staring at this, wondering why it's not happening and just pick up a piece of paper and do something that is just new and it'll probably spark, you know, it'll probably spark the, um, just the, you know, the engine again and help it fire. So that's, that's, that's where, that's where I'm at at the moment. That's the current situation. Well, let's leave this with a, a recommendation. Um, this is an open-ended question. I like to just get from the people that I talk to a recommendation of any kind, whether that's something to consume or do. Uh, doesn't sound like transcendental med- meditation is something that you would necessarily <laughs> recommend. So the one thing I recommend that people do is, uh, oh, see, I feel like I have two different things. I feel like I have the impractical thing and I have the practical thing. The impractical thing is literally just go outside and just draw. Like literally just go anywhere and just draw. And I know you know Steve Light and I are good buddies. And Steve Light is my ultimate drawing guru. You just carry a sketchbook everywhere you go. You just make these little packages that you stick inside. And Steve actually has made me these. These little kits where you have a little bit of watercolor, you have your pencils, you have a little drawing, you know, little drawing pad. You take it everywhere that you go, and anything that just looks 
lovely or funny or silly or any idea that comes into your head, you just do it and you just allow yourself those little Zen moments throughout your life at any time. So that's the impractical part. And I don't think it's impractical, but it's not necessarily a means to an end, but it is, um, it is, it is for yourself. It's a gift to yourself that you give yourself. Um, so that is, that is what I think everybody should do. Um, practically the thing that I think everybody should do is finish something um, and submit it. I don't know how many people I know who never finish something. They have an idea for a book, but they don't bring it into a dummy. They have a character, but they don't know what to do with it. Finish a book dummy. Finish it. Start it. Finish it. And show it to somebody who has more knowledge than you do. Get feedback. Rinse, wash, rinse, repeat. Keep doing that. Um, because nothing changes if you don't change something. So you have to finish, submit, get feedback. And do it over and over and over again. I think that's a good sentiment to end on. That encouragement. Okay. Thank you, Kelly Light. You're welcome. There you have it. Thank you very much to Kelly Light, who was very gracious with her time. We covered a lot of ground. Engage freely with Kelly on social media at Kelly Light on Twitter and K.E. Light on Instagram. Find more information about her work at kellylight.com. And if you have little ones or know anyone who has any little ones, buy her picture book, Louise Loves Art, and her follow-up, Louise and Andy and the Art of Friendship. New in 2018 are also two new early reader books for the three to five year age group, Louise and the Class Pet and Louise Loves Bake Sales. As for me, engage with the show on Twitter at Widom Show. I'm on Twitter at Josh Monkwords, all one word. Find discussion of the podcast in whatever form that takes using the hashtag Widom, that's W-I-T-T-M, standing for what it takes to make. The artwork for what it takes to make is text overlaid on a photo by Alex Ivey on Unsplash. There's a lot more high-quality free usage imagery at unsplash.com. Robbie Zarr provided us with the backing music to this and all episodes of Widom. This track is A Room for Sleeping from the album A Tragic But Happy Horse. Engage with his music and musings at partist.com. That's P-A-R-T-I-S-T.com. Subscribe, give us a rating, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. What I'm looking to do with the show is to highlight creators I value and in doing so, encourage both them and you to create art for yourself and the world. Word of mouth is both the best and only way for me to increase the show's audience and profile and the best way to give me feedback about how it's going. As always, thanks so much for listening. Now go forth and make something.